First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Reading, For as much, then, as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh, to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess, of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. Let us all turn to God in prayer. Eternal God, our gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we thank you for safe journey to thy house despite the rain. We thank you, Lord, for this blessed privilege to continue to study your word week after week. Lord, we ask for forgiveness if we have taken all these privileges for granted. And we have dragged our feet. Oh, Lord, when these privileges are taken away, Lord, then we will treasure them. So forgive us, O God. And even now as we approach you, we do pray afresh for the cleansing and washing in the blood of our Saviour. O Father, as far as the east is from the west, remove thou our sins from us. There is, Lord, so much in our lives that we have failed you knowingly and unknowingly. Lord, be merciful. Help us, O God, and grant us grace that even as we learn, Lord, we will seek constantly to live in Holy Spirit power, to repent, to bear the fruits of the Spirit. And Lord, we do approach thy throne to seek once again that thy Holy Spirit would teach us, open our eyes of understanding, remove all distraction, wandering thoughts and tiredness of the body. O oh Lord, give us excitement that we desire your word. And Father, we pray for the Youth 180, be with them. Lord, help the facilitators, help the students to learn much. Lord, feed your sheep in thy house tonight. This we ask, not for our namesake, but for thy kingdom, for the sake of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now, we have been reminding ourselves that Peter is setting forth the believer on this reminder that we are strangers and pilgrims on earth, right? That is the ongoing theme, strangers and pilgrims on earth. We must always remember and must always view our lives as that. Otherwise, we'll soon build roots on this earth, forget why we are here on earth, all right? It's very easy for that to happen. And for these Christians that were undergoing severe, unthinkable persecutions, constantly under the threat of death. Now, for them, the idea, the knowledge that they are but passing through this earth is a great encouragement. Now, for us today, Peter has moved on outside of this submission, the whole theme of strangers and pilgrims submitting right, to authorities, submitting to our masters, submitting to um, our roles in marriage, submitting one to another in things biblical. Then now he moved to other general exhortations to the strangers and pilgrims. Now, there are seven duties, all right? Question number one. There are seven duties that Peter will bring up that God wants strangers and pilgrims to fulfill, all right? From verses four to, verses one to 11. 
Alright, I just want us to write them down first because from God willing, um, this series, we are going to study these seven areas that the strangers and pilgrims now must focus on. Right, maybe we should finish reading, right? Let's finish reading from 7 to 11. Reading. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praised and dominion and forever and ever. Amen. All right, so here is another section. What are the seven things? Now, let's count through them. Well, we covered the first last week, chapter 4, verse 1. Now, he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That is the mind that we need to have. Suffered in the flesh, meaning dying to self. Remember, we studied that. Suffered in the flesh means you have decided to die. You have crucified the flesh, suffered in the flesh. So there's the first one, mortification of the, of the self, denial of self. All right, that's the first thing we learned last week. Now, then the next one, which we will learn this week, what do you think it is from verses 2 and 3? Right, very quickly, verses 2 and 3, what do you think it is? Jason, Jason, verses 2 and 3, what do you think is the next thing that the Christian need to focus on? Verses, from verses 2 and 3. Put, for, put away the former sin of the past. Yes, correct. There is a repetition of something, right? Try again, Jason. The will of God. Very good. There is the will of God. And then there is the will of the Gentiles. All right? It has to do with living to certain will, right? So this is living to the will of God, living out God's will, living out God's will. That's the other thing. Now, in fact, this is tonight's title, Strangers and Pilgrims, Living Out God's Will, okay? Then the third one, the third one. Now, it is a bit difficult for you to understand, but the third one is only actually found um, in verse 7. All right, you say, Pastor, what happens? To verses 4, 5, and 6. 4, 5, and 6. Now, especially 4 and 5, all right, the whole list of things. Now, in the Greek language, you'll be able to see that. A bit difficult in the English, in particular here. Sometimes you can. Now, verses 4 and 5, uh, 3, 4, and 5, they are in the participle. Participle, the verbs are participles. Now, participles means they, they are. There is a main verb, all right? Then participle verbs are basically referring to the main verb, all right? Part of what the main verb is talking about. The main verb will be living um, to the will of God, right? So in um, verse 2, don't leave the rest, should leave the rest of his time, right? Not to the flesh, lust of flesh, but will of God. Now, live. So this living out God's will and not living man's will. Now, the rest, verse 3, 4, and 5, is explaining in detail. What does it mean? Live to God's will. Don't live to man's will. All right? So, it's still under one big group, under living out God's will. Then, what about the third one found in verse 7? Verse 7 is quite straightforward. Verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober. All right? Living soberly. Living soberly. So, that's the third one. Now, then after the third one, he says, and watch unto prayer, a life of prayer. The strangers and pilgrims on earth characterized by a life of prayer. And then the next one, well, it's quite straightforward in verse, verses 8. Um, in verse 8, it will be charity, charity, all right? Charity among yourselves. 
that's the next one. And then one, two, three, four, five. We've done five. Number six is found in verse nine. Use hospitality one to another. All right, using hospitality one to another. A bit different from charity. We'll study when we go there, God willing. And then the last one. What do you think is the last one? Found in verse 11. Okay, maybe try. The rest are so easy, right? Thomas, all right? Is your mind um, clear after <laughs> recovering? All right, verse 11. See how clear it is. What do you think it has to do with? Okay, not the glory of God, right? That one is standard, all right? So this summarizes everything is to the glory of God, right? So you can't, that is not the key point. Very good. Doing, do it to the ability, all right? So it has to do with making full use of our abilities for God. Using, make, making full use of our abilities to glorify God, specifically here, right? Making full use of abilities to glorify God. So we have seven things that the Apostle Peter would write about. Then he says, Amen. All right, let it be so. God, let it be so. So tonight we will study about this particular aspect about living out God's will. Now, as strangers and pilgrims on earth, by the fact that we are strangers and pilgrims, means we do not live on this earth, we are not governed by the world. We are governed by our King in heaven. Now, don't misunderstand me. God just say, please submit to governors on earth. Now, what do we mean by govern? What we mean is we must do our country's, uh, the king's will, our country's king's will. That is what it is. Just like an ambassador that is sent overseas. Now, they are there not to fulfill and the, the, the foreign country's will. They are there to ensure that their own country's will are protected, taken care of, and forwarded where needed, right? So, naturally, after addressing you as strangers and pilgrims, you must die to self. Now, after you're dead to self, now you are ready to say, now I live to God. I live to my kings, my heavenly kings will. Just like a, an ambassador who is a stranger and pilgrim in a foreign land. Now, if he goes there and he, he basically makes up his mind, I'm going to live for myself in this country. I'm not going to bother about what my country sent me here for. As long as he doesn't die, for, die to self, he will not fulfill his country's will. In fact, whatever, whatever the foreign country entices him with, as long as it benefits the self, he will, he will betray his country. Right? So, naturally, suffered in the flesh, ceased from sin. Then now he deals with no longer should live the rest of the time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Now, before we go further, I asked this question last week, which I did not, did not answer. Question number two, what is the goal of not sinning? Why is it important to remind ourselves of that? Now, Peter just wrote seven things that we read about briefly that we should not commit seven areas of sinful living. We should not commit. Now, what is the goal of not sinning? Of course, there are many aspects that are correct, but specifically from this context that we've been studying. Remember we said at worship service, we should not be lost in the forest to the point where, um, lost among the trees to the point where we cannot see the forest, all right? Now, what is the forest here? What do you think, Benjamin? He's going to say, don't do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that, don't do, that. do this, do this, stop doing that, all right? And sometimes you say, oh, okay, okay, so many things not to do. Verse 11, okay. Verse 11, that you may glorify God, and Christ may... That's what your answer, all right? Yeah, yep, yeah, it is summarized there. Now, 
always remember we are strangers and pilgrims. We are strangers and pilgrims. Maybe I would say, ask the question, why is it important, the second part, why is it important to remind ourselves of that? Why? Now, because over time, the Christian can become, um, how would I say this, um, disinterested. Not just disinterested in knowing more about God and what to obey, the Christian may begin, begin to resist and say, why? Why so strict? Why so much expectations? Why? You see, these people, they are under persecution. They are dying. They are not even, they are, they, they are worrying about what they are going to eat at the end of the day, their next meal. They are wondering if the next time they go out of their house, whether they will come back alive. They worry about their children's um, safety because they believe in Christ. You see, to them, to receive a whole long list of things, after saying submit, 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 and then now seven other things, mortify your flesh, live to God's will, be sober, pray, have charity, exercise hospitality. What? We are so poor, we don't have enough things for ourselves. And then, what? Everything, all the abilities I have, use it for God. That will, these are the things that will be far from their mind. Always remember that. Peter is writing to a group of Christians that can easily say, hey, Peter, come on. Do you know what we are going through? Do you understand our situation? And all, all you care about is, instead of encouraging us, well, you did earlier on in the beginning of your letter, but now a whole, just one thing after another. Do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. Come on, Peter. Now, over time, the Christian can also be like that. Well, of course, for us, it's worse. We are not under persecution, right? We are living in luxury and comfort, by and large, compared to them, definitely. So, oh, yeah, why is this church like that? Now, look at First Peter chapter 4. Now, he begins, For then, as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind, that he, he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Peter begins these seven things by invoking Christ. He did not say, well, for as much as I, Peter, have suffered. Now, Peter was suffering. Peter was going through persecution himself. He was the head, the head that, that they are going after. It is understood that he would be crucified. They would go after him and kill him. Peter said, I know my days are coming to an end in 2 Peter. He knew that. So Peter himself was also going through tremendous sufferings. He could say, for, for as much as I, Peter, have suffered in the flesh. And remember, our, uh, our good friend, Apostle Paul, he suffered tremendously, even as Paul suffered. No, he said, even as Christ suffered in the flesh. Christ did not suffer in the spirit. Christ physically went through suffering as well. He invoked Christ's life. And then he said, arm yourself with the same mind. Not the mind of Peter, not the mind of Paul. The mind of Christ. That says suffering on this earth, in living out God's will, is an expected thing. Don't turn against me, who is trying to help you in this strangers and pilgrims' life to heaven. I am trying to help you live the life that God intended for you to live as strangers and pilgrims, leaving you still on this earth. I know it's very difficult, but please don't take this as, I suffer, so I want you to suffer. You know how it is some people are, like some olden um, thinking is always what they say. Well, the, the, this, this lady marries into a, into a family and then the mother-in-law makes her suffer and then after she becomes a mother-in-law, she makes the new daughter-in-law suffer. Right? Because I suffered, so you must suffer. Now, Peter invoked Christ's life. 
so that they know, they refocus their mind. Christ, it was necessary for Christ, if it was necessary for God on earth to go through suffering in the flesh, to bear all these things, to be 100% righteous, then for me to live my Christian life on earth, I must expect to also suffer when I live godly lives. Living godly lives is an expectation and expect to suffer. All right? This is the theme over and over again because you look at verse 13. Look at verse 13 or verse 12 and 13. Now, let's read verse 12 and 13 um, together. 12, 13 and 14. Beloved, think not, it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to, unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when the glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. You see, it is for Christ. It is for Christ. It is not for BPCWA. It is not for the pastor. It is not for your daddy and mommy. It is not for your wife. It is not for your husband. It is for Christ. These seven things that we are called to live out, it is not because of anything but for Christ. That is how Peter summarized it. He invoked Christ and he summarized it. For Christ. If you suffer for Christ. Now, to what we're going to study is tonight some of the things will bring sufferings. Will you think, if only I did not attend this church, my family do not have to be like that. My choices for my children doesn't have to be like that. I don't, don't have to be like that. My choices at work don't have to be like that. And as a result, you know, because, you know, attend a church like that, if I live otherwise, other people may, may look at me and my family. Don't think like that. Like I said in one of our recent messages, I'm spending a bit of time on this because it is crucial. I think it has come a point of time where our church worshippers can easily feel like that because I've realized that. Over time, some have left the church. You have noticed. Over time, why? Why is our church like that? Cannot drink, cannot, children cannot do that, I cannot. Oh, this is just too much. I may as well go find a church that doesn't have all these rules. Now, they could say, Peter, why do you have all these rules? Look at some of the rules that he put up in chapter 4. Well, well, don't walk in these things, revelings, banquetings. These are partings, right? Don't have idolatries, right? Don't run with these people. It means don't, don't go out with these people to this extent. Hiya. Peter, why are you like that? Hence, Peter has to bring up Christ and close it up with Christ. All right, please understand this. Peter is reminding the people, if you follow these things, when you meet Christ, on that day, as he mentioned, as we read, you will, you will have no regret. You, you will know, you will know that all, it, all that you went through, all that you gave up, all that you sacrificed, all that you died to self, they are all worth it for eternity. You will know the glory of it all. All right? So I must establish that, all right? Because we're going to cover things which you say, ah, why? Again, you know, other churches don't teach these things. I want to say this, actually. There are things, yes, I agree that many churches don't touch, don't cover. But why? Do you know why? Exactly the reasons why some left. You cover them, church people will leave. You cover them, families will get angry, upset, annoyed. So many choose, eventually, not to be strangers and pilgrims, but choose to find this homeland, comfortable, go to a place where I'm comfortable, no one looks at me as strange. I don't have to appear strange. I don't have to live certain, in a certain way. All right? So please remember. So number one, because of the example of Christ. So 
Question two. The first answer is because of the example of Christ on earth. Christ was not here to build his life on earth. He was also just passing through to do the will of the Father. And that was the example he set. To do the will of the Father, he had to make many sacrifices. He had to obey explicitly everything. He did not complain at all. So the example of Christ. So the next time you think uh, all these things again, just think, remember, Christ went through it. Christ went through it for you. How much more we should go through it for him? We studied that on Sunday. Now, of course, the second one. It is a testimony. All these things has to do with your testimony. As strangers and pilgrims, that they will see that you will show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then they may behold your good works and shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Because of that. Because of that. Now, don't do it to glorify your family, glorify your church. Whenever you go through this, some of the things that we'll mention afterwards, you say, oh, this is embarrassing. Now, I want you to see, actually, now, just look at verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4. Wherein they think it's strange that ye run not with them to the same excess. The world will mock at you, ridicule you. Now, either you see it as this glorifies, this obedience glorifies God, or you will see it as, you see, uh, you see, uh, attend church like, churches like that. Uh. That's why we are such a mocking and laughing stock all the time. Right? Two ways to view it. Two ways to view it. So either you see what Peter, what God says glorifies him. And even when you're going through, you're being mocked. And God says, this glorifies me. Either you believe it or you don't believe it. Now, next one. Now, of course, question number two, the last part. Why, why is it important? Because it shows our love for Christ. Our love for Christ. Because God says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He that keepeth my commandments is he that loveth me. God's definition of the person who loves God is the one who keeps his commandments. Every time you and I want to resist. Now, I speak to some of the very young ones in our midst. All right? You're here. I still remember one that is very young. All right? She actually said this. As soon as I grow up, I will leave BPCWA. They're no longer with us, all right? Before she even grew up. Because this church has too many rules. Has too many rules. Cannot do this. Cannot do that. Cannot listen to this, right? Cannot watch that. Has too many rules. Now, we don't tell you that you cannot listen, watch things that are not sinful, but things that are plainly contrary to the Word of God. It has to be taught, right? If you love God, God says, He that loves me is, he that one, is the one that keepeth my commandments. All right? So, we must set this straight first. Okay? Otherwise, the whole long list of things. Now, the last thing I want to say is this, and I'll move on. I can cover generally. All right? Churches can cover generally. Just say verse 3, all right? I just say, all right, don't have lasciviousness, lust, excess. Okay? Don't have these things, huh? All right, then we move on. Okay? Or break it down for you. Help you to see it in perspective. Lasciviousness, what does it mean? What are some examples that you may not realize, may not think of? Now, if my examples are extreme and is contrary to God's word, by all means, reject it. But when the church expounds more, this is where more of your flesh will not desire the preaching, the teaching. All right? So remember that. Okay, so now, he says, well, remember, it is Christ who suffered in the flesh, to do the will of the Father. So be ready to walk a life 
of sacrifice, of sufferings, of being ridiculed, scandalized, all right? Now, question number three. Question number three. How should we view our time on earth as strangers and pilgrims in chapter 4, verse 2? What is the barrier? Now, chapter 4, verse 2. Look at that. He, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. How, how should we view our time on earth? Well, it must be viewed as not living to the lust of men anymore. I must be conscious as strangers and pilgrim now that to the rest, should live the rest of his time. Means when I, as long as I have breath, my time on earth. I must be aware of this thing. There is such a thing called the lust of men. The lust of men. It could be men, me, myself. It could be men around me. You must be aware that there are lusts of men. In verse 3, it is called the will of the Gentiles. The will of the Gentiles. The lust of men around us are also called the will of the Gentiles. They have their purposes. They have their desires. They have their will. All right? They have their aims in life. The stranger and pilgrim on earth must be clear. This will of the world that they will keep trying to impose on me, tempt me with, tell me that it is valuable, right, good, all these values that they will push to me, the will of men, the lust of men, will always be around me and I must say to myself, I will not live to them. I will not live to them. This is, this is you know, that is um, some rude way that young people sometimes behave. Um, when you talk to them and then they say, ah, Talk to my hand. I'm not listening. Talk to my hand. Something like that, right? Basic basis, well, you're talking to a dead person. It means that we have to evaluate our lives, my friend, as strangers and pilgrims. We really have to ask ourselves, evaluate and say, which area of my life is actually fulfilling the lust of men? Fulfilling my pursuits? Now, I spend most of my time doing this. I have to now take stock as a stranger and pilgrim. Is this what my heavenly king has sent me, have left me in this place to do? Now, I'm not saying don't work, don't study. All right? Those are the necessities of life. They are not sinful. But in the midst of all those things, you and I have to ask, am I living my time? means even when I'm working, even when I'm looking after my, deciding for my, making decisions for my family, is this to fulfill the lust of men? Because we live in a world that constantly bombard us with its values, right? That's why husbands, you must be very aware because your wife may read something and without knowing, say, oh, I think we should do this or do that in the family. You have to ask, is this the will of the Gentiles? Is this how the Gentiles live and what the Gentiles pursue? Or is it for the Christian? Same for the wife. You must also be very alert. Your help to your husband. Your husband may come back one day from work and say, you know, my colleague told me this. Huh? I, I think we should do this as well. You need to be a help. No longer in our life on earth. We should live the rest of our time. The rest of our time. Now, in fact, we say, what is the barrier, all right? Uh, before we go to what is the, what is the, uh, let's, what is the barrier? Well, the barrier is straightforward, right? Peter just covered it. The self suffered in the flesh. This unwillingness to suffer in the flesh. That is your barrier to living the rest of your time in the flesh 
to the will of God. That is the barrier. The flesh. Sometimes we don't want to think. Ah, just don't think. Just do it. Just do it. Don't think so much. Now, but this, at some point, must happen, my friend. As strangers and pilgrims, by, by default, you and I are strangers and pilgrims on earth. We do not have a choice. We must realize that. That is who we are. There must come a point where we say, I must cease from sin. means I must, I must decide that I no longer will live the rest of my time on earth to the will of the Gentiles. There must be, one of the verbs here is used as a decision point at one point in life. See the stranger and pilgrim, just like the ambassador in a country, he can vacillate. Well, live like that, live like, well, but try and do my country's work. But then, wow, all these things in this country, they are very nice. He can keep moving back and forth. But Peter's call here is, you and I at some point must just decide, no more. I am no more interested in the lust of men. No more. Ask yourself, what is it that is still holding you back? You say, no more. This, this night, this day, this is the last I ever think of it. Pursue it. Do it. Give to it. This is the last. Well, not this is the last. The last is over. <laughs> All right? Finished. I'm done with this. The rest of my life on earth have a very clear, very explicit picture in my mind. I'm here to live the will of God. That is what Peter is saying. No, you have to at one point say, no more to the lust of men, but to the will of God. That is it. Now, when you make the decision, you will find that many of the so-called do's and don'ts in the Bible, very welcoming, very welcoming, very delightful. You want more of it. So Paul, Peter says now, come on, Christians, live to the will of God. Now, question number four, quickly. Now, what do we normally call this particular kind of will of God? All right, because the will of God, I told you, is in verse 2, and then verse 3 and verses 3, 4, 5, are all the details, all the details. All right, what is this will of God called? Um... Okay, the ladies must know. Um, Mabel, what kind of will? Very good. Preceptive will. Preceptive will. What are preceptive will? Preceptive will are basically the known will of God. The open, clear teachings in the Bible. They are God's precepts. All right? They are known. Why, why is it called preceptive will? Because it's so clear. A whole bunch of things. Look at verse 2. Also, uh, verse 3. Um, lasciviousness, right? Don't walk in lasciviousness. Um, don't walk in excess of wine. Don't live in revelings, banquetings, um, and all that. All right? So this unknown will. Now, why, why is it important, I ask, why is it important to differentiate this form, this preceptive will of God from the directive will of God? I hope you remember. Directive will means it is it is very specific. God directs your life to very specific things. All right? Don't live in um, revelings, partings, all right, into the night. That is clear, general, but specific. Specific, like what, what God directs you, what job God directs you into, what course of um, 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 job, what course of studies for your children, um, and so on, all right? Where, which country to live in, the directive, very personal God's direction. Now, why is it important to differentiate between them? Why do you think so, uh, Vincent? Okay, number one, is receptive fields are requirements for every Christian. 
It's back to that idea. These are not things that, that Peter said, I am writing of myself. These are things which Christ set an example that he did not have these things in his life. And to live such a life, there was suffering. It's a requirement. That is how we live. Now, linked to that is this. There are many Christians who keep saying, I want to know the will of God. I want to know the will of God. I want to live the will of God. I want to find the will of God. And they're always asking this question. All right? Every once in a while, I'll get an email, or it can be from the same person. You know, how, how to find the will of God in this? And so on. All right? So they're very occupied, preoccupied with finding God's will. Now, they're, of course, speaking about directive will. All right? Now, but they don't think much about God's preceptive will. They spend most of their waking moments trying to figure out God's directive will. Now, the Christian who doesn't differentiate all this can end up living a very disillusioned, uh, del deluded life. Deluded. Means the Christian thinks, well, I'm a Christian, I'm really trying to do God's will and find God's will, right? That's why I keep asking. What about this? What about that? But what they don't see is the known and clear preceptive will that are all over the Bible. They don't spend time thinking, pursuing, and obeying them. Instead, they focus their time, energy, and questions and thoughts all the time on what's God's directive will? What's God, what does God want me to do in my job, in my family, and so on? And then the wide open known will, they ignore it because they're too preoccupied. Now, it's important to understand this because also, all right, why is it important? So that's the first one, all right? It's expectation, it's to keep us focused and not get waylaid by finding directive will all the time. All right? So instead of constantly focusing on the mysterious, seemingly unknowing, just focus on the known. Now, then the second reason why is this. Now, as we live the known, as we live the known will, the preceptive will and focus on that, the directive will will become known. Isn't it true? If you want to know God's directive will, spend your time obeying God's word. And as you obey everything that you can see in God's word and obeyed by His grace, God says he will grant you the desires of your heart. What does it mean? Your, as your desires to obey God's will, God's known will, get stronger and stronger, the, your thoughts will be guided by his word, by the Holy Spirit, to see very clearly what, what is God's directive will in a matter for you. That is how it works. Now, why should God be interested in showing us His directive will when we will not obey His known preceptive will, clear will? Why would God do that? It's, it's like a parent, right? The child keeps going to the parent. Daddy, what, what do you think this is about? What do you think I should do? What would the father say? What are the known things that you need to do in school that you say are your duties? Go do it. Don't keep wondering about these things. Now, the thing is this, when we resist or when we, not, when we don't bother about God's directive, our preceptive will, all His known commands in the Bible are preceptive will. Even when God shows us His directive will, we either won't see it or we won't like it. Because we are only interested in pleasing the flesh. We live the rest of our time to the lust of men. 
What men says are valuable, are good in this life, we want that. That when God shows us His will, well, if it happens to coincide with what we want, now we're happy. But it happens to be against, for example, marriage. Some God intends to be single. Now, if you live to the lust of men on earth, you just keep thinking, I must get married, I must get married. You know, my, my grandparents say, if I don't get married by what age, then uh, it's a terrible thing. And I'm reaching that age. Then you panic. You live the rest of your time on earth to the lust of men, to their ideas. And you don't want to obey God. So you will constantly, constantly, even when God shows you His will, you will reject it. And you go against it. It can be living in a country. It can be um, pursue, pursuing a certain career. It can be whatever, even non-sinful things. All right? So, because we are talking about the will of God, I feel it's important to bring us to remembrance. All right? If you are, happen to be in a life where now you're saying, but God, what is your will? What is your will? What is your will in this, in that? I'm st- I really need to know. And you're distressed. Just focus on living the perceptive will. Now, next one, question number five. How does God describe our past life before salvation? How must I respond after salvation? How does God describe our past life? Look at verse four. Look at verse three. Well, the past life is called the will of the Gentiles. That's number one answer. Our past life because the will of the lust of men and the will of the Gentiles. But here God says, now live the will of God. So the rest of this are the will of God, all right? The will of God. Now look at verse 3. For the time past, our lives may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. Now Peter is reminding them how it was in the past. And he uses the word may may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. What does it mean? What does it look like? Will suffice us means we are are satisfied with. That is what will bring satisfaction to us. This is what we are happy with. The doing the will of the Gentiles means all the things that the unbelievers, the the heathens, so here he used Gentiles generally. He's not saying Gentile Christians. Basically, the unbelievers, the heathens, um, the idolaters, now, these people, they, they have their own idea of what life on earth is about that is very different from the stranger and pilgrim's life on earth. But you say, you know, in the past, all we care about is suffice us. Only when we have this, we are satisfied. And that is all we care about. That's what it means. It suffices us. All we care about. All that brings us happiness is living just like how the world lives. You see, Paul, Peter have to address this. The strangers and pilgrims' life on earth is a very disciplined life that is very conscious. Not a carefree, well, um, if I get the things of the world, then I am happy life. But it is a life where I am willing to suffer, to make sacrifices, to be scorned. That is the life. Not a life that if I get the things of the world, that is all I care about. That is what will suffice me. Now then next. Um, under pressure. All right, still at question number, number five under pressure. They are under pressure. It is at this point of time that Peter tells them, don't live the will of the Gentiles. Because at the time of pressure, now all these things, you look at them, all these things satisfies the flesh. Lasciviousness, we'll study what they are. Lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, idolatries. All these things are what the flesh used to love. 
Satan has been persecuting them, threatening their lives and their families' lives. Peter has talked about that, but now he brings their attention to the, to the other extreme, where is temptations of the comfort and the pleasures of the flesh. Peter had to warn them about that. And under pressure, it's very easy for the stranger and pilgrim to give in. That is why he say you must make up your mind once and for all that for the rest of your life on earth, you are not going to live to the will of the Gentiles and you are dead, you are dead, you are dead. Because when these things come, unless you are dead already, not physically, yeah? unless you're dead to the voice of the will of the Gentile, you will succumb to the pressure. Same for us today. Pressure of not being in a situ- not being in a job, not being in a particular job, potentially losing your job, losing your health, losing your finances, losing your goals and aims and, and dreams for yourself or your family or your children. You are at the verge of that. I don't think I need to use the example verge of death, right? Many of us are not at the verge of death. They are. But they were also at the verge, or if not, have lost many of these things already. Now the temptation is, well, I think forget about what this whole Christian walk. Such a strict life. Forget about it. You know, if I cheat a little bit, if I dishonor God's name a little bit, I can get what I want. It's okay, right? It's okay. So they, Peter would now talk to them about all the things that will appeal to and what he calls all the things which are the lust of men, the will of the Gentiles. Now then, let's look at, so under pressure, my friend, there is this great dangerous situation that the stranger and pilgrim meets. Are you under some pressure? Are you under some challenges in life? You must know that it's a dangerous time for the stranger and pilgrim. Question number six, what are some sins described that will continue to be around us and tempt us? All right, I think we will have to stop here. Is it 45? But we have set the stage. We have set the stage. God willing, the next time we come back, we will study the individual areas. All right, the individual areas. And what kind of pressure we will go through in these areas? Because here, Peter says, oh, the world is going to think strange about you. Right? Maybe you think of some of this the next time you come back, and then I ask, any examples? Let us close in prayer.